0: All right, welcome to Down by the Bank, sponsored by Brewer's Pizza, Orange Park, and Clay County's only brew pub. This is Corey. Hey, what's up, guys? This is uh, JK3. Today, we are joined by Stuart Weber. He is the sports anchor and reporter for Action Sports Jacks and he is joining us from the studio. Hey, Stuart.
1: Glad to be here, guys. Always uh, fun to talk with the Jaguars uh, in the dead time of summer. Of course, this next month will be very slow.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And before we get too much into the Jaguars, I know JK3 had a sports related topic that he wanted to touch on. Uh, JK3?
1: Does
2: McGregor actually stand a chance against Mayweather in the ring? I mean, the fight's been set. Are we just going to some type of dog and pony show? or Are we going to actually see some type of brawl?
1: I think you're either going to have a, a really, really cool first two rounds and who knows or, or that puncher's chance. I mean, Literally, the term puncher's chance comes from this sport, so you'd, you'd have to say he has a puncher's chance. Cause he can punch people. I don't know if the the bigger gloves are going to maybe take away from his punching power, but no, I think it's going to be boring and awful. and just a, uh, a terrible, terrible fight, but that's what Mayweather does. He's a great defensive fighter. If, you, if you're a tactician and you like watching it, it's cool, but I heard this uh, earlier on the radio, and the press conferences are just going to be bananas. That, that's really what what we're paying for here, folks, is, uh, is a lot of trash talk, a lot of fun uh, press conferences. And, uh, we'll see how that goes.
0: Yeah, the last fight I remember ordering was the, uh, and they just do a really good job at the marketing at this, um, is Vladimir Klitschko and Mike Tyson. So uh, same kind of hype was uh, back then for that sort of thing, and I'm not even into boxing. Uh, but with the marketing on this, I'm sure I will also be ordering. All
1: right, well, we're coming over to your house son.
0: <laughs> well, uh, maybe, but since you're the big shot TV person, we'll let you take the higher percentage of the cost if you come over. So uh, so anyway. Alright, well before we get too much into the uh, Jaguars specifically, first things first, when I follow you on Twitter and I see you on-site at all these press conferences with the pictures that you upload... Do they just put those press conference backdrops up like anywhere? Because um, I swear it looks like it's in a different part of the stadium every single time, like uh, the bathroom or you know just just wherever the hallway. So uh, so what's the deal with that?
1: Yeah, we've uh, we've bounced around a little bit here during this uh, this offseason session. We uh, we kind of more recently settled in kind of right outside of the locker room area, just this this little overhang of of the stadium, but. We've been in the, the north locker room. We've we've been out by the fields. We've we've been in a few different spots. Really, it's, they can literally put it anywhere, and and we can do it. And and you wouldn't be able to tell the difference at home. So it's it's mostly just a convenience factor for the the guys coming off the fields, and they're all exhausted at that point.
2: Yeah, it's uh, it, it's also man, it's it's pretty cool to see you know cover you know from training camp and and everything else like that. I mean, there's little you know. To be said, you know, Coughlin and the, the upper brass are kind of keeping it behind closed doors. Um, and, and, you know, with respect to we don't really want to know, give away the, the, the blueprint of how we're going to, you know, beat the beat, uh, you know, the Seahawks in the Super Bowl <laughs> or, or something like that. But, you know, from a from a standpoint and a reporting, how do they look right now? I mean, for what you can can and can't say.
1: Well. And that's part of the thing too. Is that right now there's really nothing to hide. Uh, to be honest, uh, this is the time of year when, and I believe Coach Marone said it. You're you're practicing how to practice. That's that's really what they're doing right now. They're they're learning how to practice with each other. What what the practices are going to be like. Uh, they're not doing any you know specific things that are really getting you ready for a specific team here or there. So. From our vantage point, what we're able to see, and and obviously, you know, we're not allowed to record and shoot all the different segments. Really, anytime they go into a, a a team segment, we're we're not recording it. We're we're able to be there and observe, but uh, like I said, I mean, you really can't pick up all that much from from what you're watching just because of the fact that uh, they're not wearing pads, they're not at full strength. For one, you don't have either of your safeties out there, uh, right. so it, it's really difficult to to tell. Sometimes you can see if maybe maybe a guy looks a little winded, maybe a little out of shape and, and they make no secret of it that Brandon Albert on Tuesday was a little out of shape, which is what you'd expect from a guy who took six months off. But he's a veteran. You you expect when training camp comes and when we're actually reporting it and when you know the the camp battle starts to begin, then then you can really kinda pick some things up and, and see what you wanna see and, and really start to gauge what's going on with the team.
0: You know, JK3, he brings up a good point about the secrecy aspect. You know, Marone's a pretty straight shooter, but in terms of access and ability to cover the team, you know, would you say there are significant differences between the access and information that you get with Marone versus the uh, prior regime?
1: That's an interesting question. I will say this Uh, Doug Marone and Doug Bradley are two completely different human beings. And it doesn't take a genius to know that. But. Uh, I will say we are able to to gauge some some good stuff out of what what Marone tells us, whereas uh maybe Gus would kind of skirt some issues a little bit more if if it's something that marone wants to talk about he'll he'll talk about it and he'll he'll explain it to you in a pretty good in depth kind of way i I know that he likes to go on really long answers uh just by looking at transcripts you can you can see that he goes on some some uh, some pretty long answers but it, as far as the covering it this time of year goes uh i would say we, we've had a little bit less access in, in the fact that we haven't been able to get open locker room which for us open locker room is is an interesting thing because then you can you get in there and you know if there's 50 guys maybe anybody you need and uh you can do that sort of thing here they've kind of given us a player or two each day plus Marone a couple times a week and then if we want to schedule somebody on the side we're able to do it so uh while it's kind of been a little more restricted at the same point, if you need something, if you want to go on down a specific road, have a specific angle, you're still able to do that because the, the PR staff we work with is uh, very accommodating in that way.
2: Yeah, that want, one of the things that I've noticed in listening to – uh, Doug Marone's, uh, you know, press conferences, whatever they put out on Jaguars.com and comparing it to whatever they put out on a, on a on another site like, you know, Big Cat Country or anything else like that. You know, there seems a lot of like there's a lot of uh, people trying to go into what he actually means when in actuality he's actually saying what he means um, as opposed to the previous regime. We're always getting better. We're doing this. We're doing that. We're getting these guys here. We're getting these guys there. Um, if from what you're reporting and seeing, is it kind of just basically he's giving you what he sees and what he says, and that's what he's he's taking it as a literal context?
1: Sure, I think I think the term straight shooter applies. I think that's a, a fair way to assess how Doug Marone is, not only with us, but uh, as far as we can tell, in his interactions with the team, whether it's on the practice field getting after a guy or in the locker room, you know, when we're not able to see just those conversations with the players, we we kind of. Get that feeling of him being more of a straight shooter more of the type to kind of you know lay it out exactly how it needs to be just to the point that hey you know we need to win we're not trying to get better uh this is what you need to do to get better that we feel now not necessarily saying the other regime wasn't giving people how to get better but they didn't get better uh so, you know, <laughs> it, it's just but but with Doug Marone, you, you really get that sense that he he's not gonna he's not gonna skirt an issue. He's not gonna dance around something. He's gonna give it to you straight and tell you how he does.
0: You know, you mentioned Brandon Albert earlier. Um, you know, he finally reported, so that's good. Uh, evidently, he struggled a little bit and uh, maybe may out of shape, which is not too uh, entirely surprising. You know, missing that much time. Uh, but Marone's made it pretty clear. It seems like that he's not going to just be able to walk in and be the starting left tackle. You know, just right off the bat. So, are the contract demands over? You know, what what's your, your analysis of the situation with Albert at this point? Now that he's with the team.
1: Sure. From from what I got, the the sense I got from this press conference, it's all over. He's 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 here. He's ready to go. He's he's on board. He's part of the team. He's ready. He's you know making the play to see to get a better contract. Heck, look at what, what Joko got for for Pete's sake. I mean, right. he he saw that money being given to these people that he knows better than. And so him and his agents thought, you know, let's see if maybe we can get that. You don't get it. All right, you move on. You get back to making your eight million dollars or whatever it is this year. You'd be happy about it. And you try and win that left tackle job to start the Jacksonville Jaguars. Uh, I don't. You know, it's funny because here in Jacksonville, we had nothing else. There, there's no other storylines as far as uh, the the off season Jags goes other than the the couple that you know about. You know about Bortles. You know about the linebacker stuff. You know about Dante Falcone needing to improve. I mean, outside of those kind of those on the field storylines, it, it's not dramatic here because th- there really wasn't anything crazy going on. Whether it's uh, contract holdouts or, or drama between players and things like that. So that, that kind of elevated, I think, the Brandon Albert thing to a, a point that maybe if you're in a bigger market or a different place, it's, it's just standard business in the NFL. It's not nothing crazy. He didn't miss any mandatory stuff. He just missed the voluntary stuff. And, you know, he, he said it himself. He needed that six months to really recuperate his body, his mind, his soul, and, and to really be ready to be all that he could be for the upcoming season.
2: So now, now that, um, uh, Brandon Albert is, uh, he, he's reported and, you know, we have Cam Robinson, uh, who everyone thinks, or who me personally, I think the world of, I think he's going to be a solid bookend left tackle for years to come. Do you, what do you think the actual camp battle will be like? Cause I mean, you, you have Al, Albert who's, you know, held out for as long as he possibly could. Uh, he, well, he could have held out longer, but he missed the, the voluntary stuff. And Cam's there getting the reps, you know, uh, building that cohesiveness with the offensive line. Um, do you think Albert's situation actually, you know, kind of ignites like a camp battle between the both of them?
1: Oh, I absolutely think it's going to be a battle. That's that's no doubt about it. I mean, you're talking about two guys who say they're left tackles. You say, you know, I don't really know how to play guard. I haven't done guard before. So, you, talk, we, you know, we asked Albert the other day, have you ever played anything other than left tackle? No. We asked Cam Robinson when we interviewed him at the NFL draft. up Philadelphia a couple months ago, hey, what, what do you think about playing guard? He's like, I don't play guard. I've played tackle my whole life. It's, that's what nobody has talked to me about being a guard on their team. I mean, these are two guys that are both very familiar with playing that left tackle position. Now, that's not to say one of them can't play guard, but this is what they're here for. They're here to play left tackle. And so uh, we have two guys who are that uh, dead set on filling that position and being that guy. Absolutely. You're going to have a terrific battle. And I think it's going to be. Uh, a whole lot of fun to kind of watch that play out through the course
2: of training camp. Yeah, and you know, right now we, we've kind of we're in the dead of football season, so anything that we can kind of report on or kind of like see coming from uh, Big Cat Country or from you guys at Action uh, Action Sports Jacks, you know, we we kind of just hold on to it as long as we possibly can till something else comes up. Uh, I want to get into a little bit how how the defensive line has just been just so impressive with the depth that they've built. I mean, you know, we brought in veteran leadership. And then now, you know, we've got these new up-and-coming youth that are just learning from these guys. Uh, So what do you think? Is there enough room for everyone to play on the defensive line? And and what's that battle look like in camp?
1: Yeah, there's always enough room room on the defensive line just because – if there is a position that you're going to be swapping guys in and out, you're going to be attacking folks in waves. It is the defensive line position. You know, you're going to you're going to use all nine guys if that's what you go with on a game day. And uh, for this group, I, I absolutely agree with you on that. I mean, they have uh, built a good amount of talent. Obviously, bringing in some veteran leadership I think is is huge. I think that's the big thing. Not not to say that Malik didn't provide that leadership last year in his first time he did. and. He's a tremendous leader, but now you add in a guy like Calais Campbell who, who has seen it. You know, he's, he's been out there for a while really leading men, and I witnessed that just about every single OTA and minicamp practice was him taking a young guy aside and, and telling him something, whether it be Yannick Ngakwe, whether it be DeWan Snoot or, you know, Dante Fowler Jr., any of these guys, Sheldon Day even. I mean, you see him constantly talking to guys and constantly showing them things and giving them little examples of what they can do. I think bringing that big leadership guy is really the way to go, and that's you know going to be a huge help to this team. I feel like they wanted to do that with a guy like Chris Clemens a couple of years ago, but he was just right. a powerful person, so he couldn't have been a good leader. He didn't have that leadership quality despite being a veteran in the league, a guy who had shown it. He wasn't that, that type of leader from, from our perspective. Uh, whereas from what we've seen, or at least what I've personally seen, Julius Campbell definitely fits that bill.
2: Uh, and then you know, talk about his voice also. So I mean, a guy with that <laughs> <laughs> that intimidating of a voice, uh, whatever he says, hey, I'm 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 here.
1: <laughs> he's got the voice and he's got the the frame for sure. But uh, such a nice guy. Our conversations with him have been uh, have been good. He's, he's certainly uh, a character and, and a guy who Gags fans will absolutely fall in love with. This year.
0: Kind of a follow-up to the Calais Campbell uh, press conference uh, in that, you know, basically he had mentioned that Dante Fowler was one of the best uh, athletes on the defensive line. Maybe the whole defense, actually, he, he might have said. And, you know, we actually interviewed Cliff Averill on our last episode who said that he was specifically working with Dante Fowler, uh, that he had reached out and was trying to, uh, to help him improve. So, you know, with one year under his belt, Um, the the work with other uh, star athletes at that position in the league and the veteran leadership that he now has, you know, do you think this is a turning point for him in his career this coming season?
1: Well, that's the thing. I mean, I mean, what you said is what we know. We know he's an athlete. We know he's a freak out there. We know he's got the speed, the size, all those sort of intangible. It's the other stuff that we want to see. We want to see the, the grasping of a playbook, the, Ability to make moves and get attacks as an offensive line—it's it, the beyond physical stuff that is what we want to see. To see if he can make that jump in year two, and, and we straight up asked him. You'll see that interview Saturday night on actually, actually Sunday night on Action Force Jacks Prime Time. Uh, you'll see our one-on-one with Dante Fowler. Where we we literally asked him, "Hey, is this year two or year three for you?" He said, "Year two. Technically, it's year three, but it's going to be his second year on the field." And so. We took some time and kind of looked at some comps of just guys going from year one to year two as far as Zach's total go. Uh, you, you look at him and, and you look at Vic Beasley. He goes from four, which is what Dante had, by the way, his first year, to 15.5. Uh, you look at Marcus Golden, who goes from four to 12.5. Khalil Mack in his first year went from four to 15. So you, you do see that jump from guys who maybe got four their first year but then they were able to explode out onto that scene. Now, am I saying Dante Fowler out and have double-digit or 15 sacks? I'd like to see it happen. I don't know if it will, but you certainly want him to be that disruptor, be that guy who can make a quarterback, you know, second-guess what he's going to do with the ball once he drops back. So Jacks fans all certainly hope they see it. I know the people inside the building hope they see it. Uh, we will see. I mean, that's another one of those wait and see kind of things, and and we're hoping all this this work in the off season really pays off for Dante.
0: Yeah, I'm definitely optimistic. I mean, I heard Malik Jackson on the radio, and he was talking about the cohesiveness that they have uh, in that in that group, and that Fowler and Jokwe are pretty close and, and sort of drive each other. So, uh, so I think that'll help quite a bit. But as far as sack prediction, what are you thinking? I mean, I'd like you to make a prediction. What, like fifteen or something?
1: <laughs> uh, fifteen, fifteen seems a little high for me. For for Dante, I, I don't maybe see him making that giant jump like, like those other guys did. Yeah. But I think if he gets nine or ten, I think we'll be happy. I, I'd, I'd probably say eight or nine is what, what I would guess just because he's going to have a lot of other guys who are making those plays as well. I mean, you're expecting Dockway to improve on a terrific rookie season from him. Um, you have Calais coming in, getting those reps, snaps. Uh, so, so I'll say, I'll say eight or nine. Uh, and I think I'd be happy with nine if, if he gets nine. It depends on how much he's out there playing, because like we said, it's a rotational thing and the waves, and we'll see. I mean, if he if he's able to make a difference on that defense, the number will mean a little bit less.
0: And kind of shifting back to the offense, you know, speaking of Marone in the press conference, you know, he mentioned basically that if you turn the ball over, you're not going to be the starting quarterback for the Jaguars. So, you know, what did you take that as? Was that a direct message to Blake, or was that just kind of a general message overall?
1: It is something that has to be cleaned up, but in no way do I think Blake Bortles will not be the starting quarterback in twenty seventeen. I'll say that. I obviously he, he has to cut down on, on the turnovers. That's that that's a clear a clear fact for us. We we all know that. Maybe less so the turnovers, more so the the killing turnovers. The ones that just are brutal and, and really, you know, take you out of the game. Those are the ones he has to get rid of. But let's face it, two thousand seventeen is Blake's season. They're not they're not gonna get anything by going to Chad Henney or Brandon Allen. Uh, that that's not going to do anything for the team. This is his year to prove whether he's the quarterback of the future or whether he's not going to get that option picked up for next year. I know it's technically picked up, but they can just kill it if they want to.
2: So as Blake has to improve, I, I think that, you know, the, the Allens, they have to improve also with him because, you know, it's kind of like one of those things where a lot of the ball's, you know some of the interceptions that Blake has thrown have been off hands, or you know should have been catches, tip balls, or whatever. Um, with the addition of D. D. Westbrook, you know what do you think this wide receiver, uh, wide receiving core, uh, you know kind of goes from here?
1: Yeah, I mean they've been a young wide receiving core for a couple of years now, and, and they've been really successful while doing that. And they they're still relatively young. I mean all these guys are on rookie contracts, other than like Aurelius Ben, who's uh, been around the league for a little bit, but uh, you talk about these young guys who have performed so well uh, in the younger stages of their career, and now they're starting to hit that you know year four, year three, year five, all in that range to the point where you're starting to uh, see that next contract. Obviously, Kern's got his, but now A-Rob and Marquise are both looking at it as this. This is a big year for both of them, obviously in contract years, unless it gets you know sorted out before the season starts. Both of those guys are. Are possibly playing the last year as Jaguars, so they have that motivation. They have that uh, that idea in their head that you know this is this is the time we absolutely have to perform. And I think adding adding a guy like D.D. Westbrook will certainly help. Uh, uh, you know, everyone knows about his off the field issues, but this guy's a player. This guy can can certainly play. And you look at all the Bolitnikov Award winners we're stacking up on this team now, and you got to be pretty happy about having that that uh, aspect on the team with, with Marquise and D.D. and guys that can play, you know, guys that can really catch it. Uh, the interesting thing, we talk about them being young guys. I'm really, really excited to see what Keenan McCardell does with this team as the wide receivers coach to have him coming in and to be able to impart his wisdom on them. Sure. Uh, Jerry Sullivan, terrific, terrific wide receiver coach, great technician of the game, been doing it forever, and certainly taught these guys a lot of things. But you're talking about a guy 57 years old, uh, Hasn't played in a long time. If he did play, I'm not sure if he played 40, 50 years <laughs> ago. But you talk about T. M. McCardell. This is a guy who, you know who's done it. Who's done it at that huge stage. Done it in the same stadium that they're at, and really can can impart you know what he did to be successful. You, you never know if it's all gonna if it's all gonna transfer over. If a guy who's who's done it is able to teach it to other people. But at the same time, it can't hurt to have that experience and that knowledge in that receivers room.
2: Yeah, I, I hear you, man. That's one of the things I'm really excited about is to see, you know, what kind of, you know, c- kind of quirks and things that he can do to help these guys get over, get open in coverage. I mean, you know, one of the things that I've noticed is that A-Rob just when he gets double cover- covered, you know, he's literally invisible. But, you know, your Antonio Browns, your, uh, your Odell Beckhams, your uh, – you know, your, your number one receiver on the teams are getting double covered and they're still out there making plays for their team and still out there, uh, you know, contributing to, you know, the success of other uh, teams. So it's got to be something that uh, Keenan can definitely show him how to beat those double coverages.
1: Yeah, no doubt about that. Uh, and Alan Robinson, you know, he, he suffered as Blake suffered last year and, and so did some of the other guys. Obviously, Marquis stayed healthy and that was why we could finally see what he was able to do. But uh, the Dallas they they both struggled because of because of partially because of Al Blake struggled but uh you know that that can affect your game as well and how it goes and uh certainly you you expect them to have that bounce back year if if the quarterback can can get it together and throw them the ball cuz you know they need Blake to do well in order to to be able to put up numbers to be able to catch it and run with it do do all they need to do to be successful
3: that's the key yeah
2: so So one last question really quick, and we'll let you go, man. Thanks a lot again for your time tonight. But as uh, Marone did mention, uh, he wants to be a running, running team. I can't really quote him. But uh, I think he said he wanted he said to, he wanted to have... run the
1: ball every single play.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that's it. So as uh, as we kind of, you know, transition to how good the, or, or how we need our running backs to, you know, uh, be as as much as a threat as the offense or excuse me, as, as the quarterback, uh, because, you know, the running the ball does open up play action and other things like that. Um, what kind of competition will we see from, uh, you know, for, for and ivory? And how does that running back position look so far?
1: I think you drafted Fournette where you drafted him because you expect him to be the guy. Uh, and they won't tell you that. They'll tell you that, you know, we, we're going to, you know, have him compete, do this and this and this. They drafted this guy at that position because they expect him to be the guy. I mean, you have to. If you're going to take a running back that high in the draft, uh, you need to expect him to go out there and do what Zeke did. That's, I mean, obviously it's an unfair comparison, but. That's the comparison he's going to get. He's talking about a, a team that, that wasn't so good that then became good after you drafted a running back. The one difference, well, that would be the offensive line. You look at the Cowboys, they have the best offensive line in the NFL. We have question marks. We we don't know who's starting where at any of the positions right now, except maybe Parnell at right tackle. Outside of that, we don't know if Linder's going to play center, if he's going to play guard. We don't know if Can's going to stay at guard. We don't know. Who's going to be the left tackle? Who's going to be the left guard? We have a lot of question marks on the offensive line, and the offensive line is so important to that running back's position to open up holes for whoever it is, whoever it is that ends up in there. It, it's it's interesting to me just how similar you talk about maybe a Leonard Fournette and a Chris Ivory are, and T.J. Yeldon has really kind of been forgotten in all this. Just one because he hasn't been available for. Part of the year, the OTAs and the minicamp, he's been working off on the side uh, with the other "quote unquote" injured players. We can't tell you how injured they are because yeah. we're not getting any answers on that. But uh, you know, we don't know how how that's going to shake out when you're talking about guys who have such similar skill sets in Ivory and Fournette. Uh, but at the end of the day, if you ask me, I think I think Fournette's the guy. I think he's the one that they're going to they're going to have in there as much as possible, and and really try to rely on him fair or not fair as it is to to help take that pressure off of Blake and make this team successful offensively
0: will fournette shaving his beard affect his performance this year it's
1: Florida We, we can't have you can't have that giant, I don't know how he had it in that's in Hall that Rouge I mean that's it's just as swampy down there as it is over here in Florida
0: all right, Stuart, we really appreciate you being on the podcast today. Again, be sure to follow Stuart on Twitter. He has a lot of great insights on there, not just about the Jaguars, but about you know Jacksonville sports in general. And um, we're going to put that uh, handle up in the podcast description. So thanks for joining us tonight from the studio, Stuart. We really appreciate it and continue to keep up the great work on Action Sports Jacks.
1: Yeah, not a problem, guys. And uh, yeah, be sure to tune in to Prime Time. I usually anchor the Saturday night shows at 10.30 on Fox 30, 11.30 on CBS 47. We do it every Saturday and Sunday all year long. And we give you the most local sports in town. So uh, keep it locked with us. We're your official Jaguar stations this fall. So it should be a fun 2017.
3: Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network.